From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, welcome today. We're in the we're back in the book of Mark. Today, the Gospel of Mark. We've actually been in this book for uh, almost a year. We began it in April, and then we've been journeying off of it and taking detours to, to talk about topics as needed and then coming back to it. Um, but I'm excited to jump back in today, and I'm excited for the message today. And I believe that, that God wants to speak to somebody. I believe God wants to speak to all of us, actually. But I believe that, that there's something specific for somebody needs to hear today. So I want you to lean in a little bit. Mark is a, a biography of the life of Jesus, and he writes to Gentile and Roman believers. He's writing to people like you and me. And he's really writing to show his readers that Jesus is, in fact, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. And he's doing that by answering two questions. The first is, who is this Jesus guy? And that's why he shows a lot of the life of Jesus. And then he kind of answers the question, how did he become this king, this messianic king? Now, out of all the four gospel accounts, Mark is like the action movie because Mark describes more of the action. He kind of cuts out the, the, the minor details, the, the, the conversations, and just gets straight into the, to the ministry of Jesus. It's also the shortest book of the four gospels, and it's also the first written, said to be the first written out of the four. Now, most of the time when you and I, when we read a biography, we do it either because we were made to in school or we do it now because there's something about that person that intrigues us and we're, we'd like to emulate maybe an aspect of their life. And that's really our heart in, in reading the book of Mark is to gain more perspective in the life and teaching and ministry of, of our Savior, of our teacher, and then seek to emulate his life and teaching. And so that's what we're doing a little bit today. So I want you to bow your heads with me. You can turn to Mark chapter 9 if you have his Bible as well. We're going to start in verse 30, but I want you to bow your heads and let's just, let's pray that the Holy Spirit... Who, who guided the authors to pen the pages of this book would guide our hearts and minds to receive what he wants to say today. So Holy Spirit of God, we thank you that we can worship freely. And we thank you that we can hear from your word freely, Lord. Even the fact that this is being broadcast on, on the internet, Father God, in our nation, Lord, I'm thankful for. I know we can't gather the same, Lord, but I know that we are with one another in spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, just as you're in this space and we sense and feel you today, I pray in every home, God, that you'd be moving and you'd be speaking and you'd be grabbing a hold of hearts in the name of Jesus. And we just open our heart to you today. We open our mind to you today. We open our life, and we pray, Spirit, would you just speak to us, and not just in a way that gives us information, but would you speak in a way that convicts us, that allows us to change our lives and and transform us for the better. Help us to not just learn from the teaching of Jesus, but apply it and actually um, make it something that we we live out on a day-to-day basis, God, especially in our culture and our nation, God. Let us be people who who bear the name of Jesus and live out the teaching of Jesus. And so as we look at this scripture, God, we lean into what you wanna say. We open our hearts, God, and we bless you. We bless you that we have this today. And Lord, I think of those that maybe are struggling right now. God, I just got this in my mind that maybe there's somebody that's tuning in today and they're feeling discouraged. I pray in Jesus' name that you would encourage their heart. I pray you'd give hope and I pray you'd give joy that comes not through a message, that comes not through um, a gift or a circumstance change, but comes through your spirit grabbing a hold of that heart. And so in Jesus' name, fill a life, God, fill us all with hope and joy in a God who is sovereign and a God who loves us and cares for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
One of the most joyful things about having kids or being around kids, if you've got a niece or nephew or maybe you're involved in the school system, but one of the most, I find the most, the most joyful thing about being around kids is watching them dream of the future. They have such big dreams of their, their future and it's incredibly heartwarming. And when you ask a kid what they wanna be when they grow up, almost always it's something great, right? Astronaut, policeman, fireman, or in my son's case, he wants to be a secret agent who invents things on the side. He wants to be someone who invents gadgets that he can use as a counterintelligence officer, as a spy. I don't know about you, but I've never heard a kid say that they want to grow up and be a clerk, or they want to work in insurance, or that they want to be in sales. If I even mention to my kids something plain or realistic at their age, it's no I want to be a superhero. I want, I want to be a spy. No one ever dreams about working in an office or in our production line. We are all born with this desire to be great. We want our lives to matter. We want, we want to make a difference. We want to leave a mark. Nobody, of, nobody really wants to just be a carbon footprint. Nobody wants to have no ripple effect in life. But from childhood, we dream about the future, and we want to be great. I'm still dreaming I'm still believing I'm gonna be in space one day and thanks to people like Elon Musk, that might be a possibility. Think about our obsession as a culture with superheroes, right? Iron Man, Batman, um, the Avengers. I feel like there are more superhero movies today than there are movies out today. And what is it about these movies? Well, they, they touch something, they tap into a deep human desire. Every story is, is a human who has these special abilities or, or special powers, and they go around and they defend the weak and they save the day and they're adored by the world. Why? Because that just taps into a part of us, this desire to be great. What if the desire in us to be great was put in there by God himself? If we went back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter one, we're told that God created humans in his image. We are the only creation out of all the created order that are created like God. And when he put us on this planet, he called us to rule and subdue the rest of the created order. It says this in Genesis chapter one, verse 28. It says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We were put here on this earth to do something that matters. The problem is, is that desire that in some aspect is godly has been warped and manipulated and twisted by pride and by sin. From a desire to do something great to a desire to be something great, from a desire to serve and help the weak to a desire to be served by the weak. One pastor called this the tension in the middle between a childlike desire to do something that matters and the warped desire for power, control, money, success, fame, and celebrity status. And so what is the answer? Well, the answer is found in our text today and these words by Jesus in Mark chapter nine. So I'm gonna read it for you, Mark chapter nine, verse 30. And it says this. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. 
They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. So he took a child whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. And whoever is not against us is for us. So in Mark chapter 9 here, Jesus is hiding with his disciples. He's He's wanting to be away from the crowds before his crucifixion and his death and his subsequent ascension into heaven because he has something that he wants to share with his disciples. And he's, he's sharing this. He says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Now, this is the, the second of three prophecies that Jesus shares about his death and resurrection in Mark. It's a very clear formula of what's going to happen. He's going to be arrested, he's going to be killed, and then he's going to rise from the dead. But unlike us who have the full story, we've, we're on the other end of the story. These disciples, they're right in the middle of it. And we read in this text that they don't get it and they don't understand. Now, why is that? Because a suffering Messiah did not compute with their expectations of the Messiah. A suffering Messiah did not, did not make sense with their messianic expectations. If you recall, through our series, we've talked about how the Messiah was this figure that they believed would come and rule and dominate and set up an earthly kingdom and overthrow all oppression. So in, in their framework in understanding who the Messiah was, what Jesus was saying here doesn't make sense to them. Right? And it's possibly that they wanted that warrior Messiah. They wanted the Messiah to come in and to rule and dominate with power and overthrow and defeat the Romans by their expectations. But it says that they were afraid to ask him about it. It says they were afraid to ask him about it. Have you ever wanted to ask a question, but you feel like you already know the answer? Right? Jesus' vision of the kingdom was in line with what the prophets had said, but it wasn't in line with the expectation of the people of his day. And so he's teaching his disciples to reimagine the kingdom around suffering and self-sacrifice, not power and dominance, but it's, it's slow going. And isn't that true of us? We have a hard time accepting the simplest truths of the Bible, self-sacrifice, radical generosity, because we have presuppositions of what discipleship and what faith and what Christianity and what life is about. We have already established a framework of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to, to be a Christian so that when we hear something that doesn't fit with the narrative that we told ourselves, we dismiss it. We dismiss it because we have a hard time lining that up with our existing life. And so we just expect Jesus to fit our mold. Could, could this be why much of North American Christianity is the way it is, right? Prosperity, consumerism, nationalism, me, self. Could that be why so many Christians are void of Christ-like um, character and attributes and, and, and matters, generosity, servitude? We live prayerless lives or we pray selfish prayers because we actually have a warped idea of who Jesus is and what he calls us to be. 
Could that be that we don't want to talk to Jesus about it, we don't want to go to God about it, because we already know the answer to the question, and it's incredibly convicting and would require us to actually change the way we live our life. So they were afraid to ask Jesus about it, and it says that they came to Capernaum, and they were arguing over something, and Jesus asked them about it, but they kept quiet because they were arguing over who was the greatest. So one minute, Jesus is talking about suffering and self-sacrifice. The next, they're arguing over who is the greatest. This couldn't be more polar opposite. And what's crazy about this, I think, is that although this is 2,000 years ago, this couldn't hit more closer to home for us because we still have this mindset. We have this mindset, and this is Mark's way of contrasting Jesus' vision of greatness and the disciples' vision of greatness. Now, notice the connection here. The disciples are fighting, and they have this desire to be great. If you go to James chapter 3, a little bit later on in the New Testament, it says this in verse 13. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? This is the half-brother of Jesus writing. He says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes with, from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder and every evil practice. Now this text by James was written about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So I can, I can assume that the disciples have learned since this scene in Mark chapter eight. But if you compare what's being said here in James to what the disciples are doing in Mark chapter nine, they're arguing over who is better. And in their selfish ambition and in their envy, they're becoming what? Disorderly. So envy is this, is coveting what someone else has, right? It's wanting what someone else has. And the problem with envy is it's a cycle because there's always someone who's better than you. There's always gonna be someone who's smarter than you, who's stronger than you, who's more successful than you, who is more fit than you, who has more toys than you, who has a better life than you. There's always gonna be someone who is better, who is greater. And most of us, what we do is we always compare with the one who is better. We always compare with who is ahead. We never compare with who is behind. And we always compare and contrast to see how we measure up. But the problem is by doing this is we always live in someone else's shadow and the joy gets sucked out of life. Some of you are wondering why you have no joy. It's because you're living in a state of comparison. You're always comparing to someone who has a bigger house, who has the better job, who's making more money, who's not being impacted, who has better health, and you're, you're having the joy sucked out of your life because envy always sucks the joy out of life. Rather than enjoying what you have and what you do, you want somebody else's story. That's, that's envy. Now, selfish ambition, that's the desire to put yourself above the needs of someone else. It's the desire to put yourself above the needs of someone else. Ambition can be good. Ambition can be a drive to move ahead. It's setting goals. It's resolutions. But selfish ambition is rooted in a desire that is what's best for you, regardless and with disregard of others, even at the expense of others. This is when my kids are pushing each other out of the way because they want to be first. In fact, the other day, my kids were playing with... Uh, with the, this craft that requires you to iron these beads. And what would happen is when you iron these beads, they would melt together. And depending on how you put the beads, it would make a shape or a picture. So my one son had been wanting to do, do this for days, like 
like days. And we're just like, yeah, we'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. We never did. Finally, we get to do it. He makes this shape. He says, hey, can you iron this for me? And we were in the middle of doing something. So we said, just, just a moment. We'll do it in a second. So he goes off and he plays. While he's playing, my other son is putting together this shape. And he finishes this, this shape. And he says, can you iron mine right now? I'm done. Can you iron mine right now? And we said, because we are in the middle of something, I think we were making dinner. We said, hey, we'll do it in just a sec. We're gonna finish this, and then we're gonna iron your brothers, because he asked first, and then we'll get to yours. And I kid you not, this is what he said, I kid you not. He says, well, the Bible says that the first shall be last, and the last will be first. So therefore, since I'm last, I should really be first, and since he's first, he should really be last. Like that's selfish ambition, right? It's, it's selfish ambition is when you, your needs and your wants and your desires and your dreams trump everybody else's. And what James tells us in James chapter three is when you have these two things, envy and selfish ambition, you have disorder and every evil practice. Think about that. Whenever there is conflict, whenever there is division, whenever there is bitterness, whenever there's jealousy or slander, more often than not, at the root of it, in someone in the equation, is envy and selfish ambition. Think about your marriage. Think about your family. Think about your workplace. Think about in the church. Think about those you're fighting with right now. Somewhere almost in there is envy and selfish ambition intertangled. And so Jesus asked his disciples, what were you arguing about? And we know that Jesus knows what they were arguing about. In fact, in Matthew, he tells us that he knows his thoughts. He knows their thoughts. And so he sits down. It's kind of like taking that posture of a, of a teacher, right? He's not putting his feet up because he's tired from the journey. He's not wanting to relax. But he sits down to give instruction. It's their cue that you need to listen intently because I have something important to tell you. This is like when I go into my son's room after he's been in trouble and I sit down on the floor and I say, come sit beside me. He knows that we're gonna have a discussion. And Jesus says this. He says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. Short, concise, and to the point. Now, here is something huge. Jesus doesn't condemn them for wanting to be great. It's not like, guys, come on, you're missing the point here. Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about others. He doesn't do any of that. You know, when I was reading this and I'm, I'm studying this, I kind of felt a little convicted because as a parent, that's what I do. I point out the wrong, but that's not what Jesus does with his disciples. Instead, he redefines what it means to be great. He, he shares with them the kingdom definition of greatness, and he calls their attention to the way they should be looking at greatness, right? He, it's as if he's saying, you want to be great? That's fantastic. I put that in you. You're created in my image. That desire, it stems from me, and this is how you go about it. And doesn't the one who, who put the desire in us have the right to determine how it's defined? Doesn't the one who put the desire in us have the right to determine how we achieve it? Doesn't the one who is great determine what greatness is? Now here's something to ponder. When you and I, when we define greatness as anything other than this, as anything less than this, then we've lowered our standard. Like if, if you and I, we define greatness as anything other than the first must be the very last, then we've lowered our standard because this is how the author of life defines it. That, that when we define greatness as the pursuit of power, position, fame, fortune, look at me, see me, this is what I can do, we've lowered our standard. 
because the eternally great God defines it as someone who becomes the very last and serves all. That is God's standard of greatness, serve all. Now, servant in the Greek is where we actually get our word deacon from. It quite literally can mean one who waits on tables. Servant means waiter. A servant exists to make the lives of others matter, not their own. Think of Alfred, right? Batman's butler. I, you know, I, we have a, a, a love for Batman in my home. You know, at Christmas time, we have a little Batman that shows up and tells us Advent and tells us the scriptures for, for Advent. We love Batman. And what I love is my little two-year-old uh, daughter is starting to love Batman. And maybe because she has older brothers, but I can't feel a sense of successful parenting in there. You know, what, what little girl shouldn't love Batman? But a servant is, is someone who exists to make the lives of others matter, not their own. How can I serve you? What can I do for you? And I, I have three things I want to give you that uh, defines a servant. Number one is the servant, a servant is hardworking. They don't sit around much. Recreation isn't high on their list. Their lives exist around the lives of others. In fact, we were watching this like extraordinary home show like a, a few weeks back and it shows like these, you know, these homes that are in the middle of like these beautiful places and they're just extraordinary. And one of them showed this floor plan, like a bird's eye view of the floor plan and it had all these large, great rooms, and they're kind of going through all these rooms. And then I noticed kind of smack dab in the middle is this tiny little room that said staff room because the staff don't get a big space, right? They're, they exist for everyone else in the home. That's what a servant is. Their, their lives exist around others. They're hardworking. The second thing is a servant is faithful. In our culture, we're not faithful. You and me, we want the new thing, and when the new runs out, we move on to the next thing. We, we go from one relationship to the next. We go from one church to the next. We go from a job to the next, from one restaurant to the next. We're constantly chasing after the next thing. But a servant isn't chasing after the next thing. A servant is faithful, and a servant is loyal. And thirdly, a servant doesn't care much about the opinions of others. Now, you and I, we care a lot about what people think, Right? How much time do we spend trying to make others see that we're better than we are? This is why every single one of us, when we have someone coming over, we speed, which is not right now apparently, but we speed clean our house, right? Which is not wrong. You, you need to clean your house. But we care about what people think. We don't want people to think we look like slobs. That's why many of us who are on social media, this is social media at its finest, right? This, that, our, that our pictures are just the highlight reel of our life. And it's not wrong to show all the good things that are happening. But when that's all that we show, there might be a problem. But a servant doesn't care about all that stuff. They're, they're freed from the desire to be more. And one pastor said it this way. He said that the, the, the desire to be more is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because it drives us to be more than we are, but it's a curse because it drives us to be more than we are. But a servant is freed from all that. And to Jesus, the word great and greatness equals servant. Now in the first century, greatness and servitude couldn't be more apart. Servants were at the bottom of the social status. It was a demeaning role. You didn't want to be served. And even today, that hasn't changed much. You know, I think some of us have got um, discovered that, that there's actually joy in giving to someone without expecting anything in return. Dare I say, a level of greatness. But this hasn't changed too much. We still enjoy being served. Think about this. We even pay money for people to serve us. We will, we will pay money to sit down, enjoy a meal, and have someone um, serve us. And some of us may think, that's different, and I get it. I love that. I love going out for a nice meal, but obviously not right now. I love going out for a nice meal, but is that really that different? 
Like, why do I love that? Because I don't like doing anything. I don't wanna do anything, I just wanna be served. There's a whole industry that is created for us to give them money so they can serve us. So Jesus says, you wanna be great? Then you must become the servant of all. And I imagine that there's silence in the room, right? Like nobody knows what to say, the disciples don't know how to respond. And so Jesus takes a little child in his arms and he says to them, whoever welcomes one of these children and my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. What is Jesus doing? He's acting out greatness in front of them all. He's playing with a little child. This is what greatness looks like to Jesus. In the first century, children didn't have a pretty significant role. In fact, they were at the bottom of the social ladder, right, along with slaves and the disabled. Children rule the world right now. They get what they want when they want it, right? We'll do anything for our children. We even idolize our children. We worship our children, dare I say, but not then. And Jesus is saying greatness is when you get down and you serve those who can give and offer you nothing. Parents, I'll pick on dads. How many of you come home after work and you're too tired to play with your kids? I shouldn't just say dads. That's stereotypical. Parent, you know, whoever you are, guardian, how many of you get home from work and it's too, you're too tired? It almost seems like servitude to play. It almost seems like servitude to, to help make dinner. It almost feels like servitude to, to clean up because you're tired. And I get it, we all get tired, but Jesus' definition of greatness is serving. So you wanna get ahead in life. You wanna be great. You wanna be the first and get behind and serve. Serve the ones that everyone else say doesn't matter. Serve when you get nothing from it. What does serving look like? It looks like love. It looks like time. It's attention. It's sacrifice. It's hard work. It looks like Jesus dying on the cross. That's greatness. Greatness is not just thinking more of others and yourselves less. It's doing more for others. This is the exact opposite of what the disciples were arguing about, and they don't get it. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. I wanna share this with you. The next passage reveals that in their heart is still this envy and selfish ambition. So John comes and he complains to Jesus about something he saw everyone else doing. He says, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. That kind of sounds like my, my kids tattletaling. And so Jesus responds to him, he says, don't stop him. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. So the funny thing is, if this guy was casting out a Jesus in, or casting out demons in Jesus' name, not the other way around, he was actually following Jesus. They, they, start, they told him to stop because they said, you're not one of us. But if he's actually doing this, he's actually following the teaching and way of Jesus. Maybe he didn't go to their synagogue. Maybe he didn't hang out at the church. But likely the disciples were upset because they're, they're envious. Because right before this passage, they tried to cast out a demon, and it says that they couldn't do it. And the boy's father had to go to Jesus to cast it out. So their selfish ambition was to be the greatest. And Jesus tells them, you want to be the greatest? Then you got to be a servant of all. And now they're seeing someone doing something that great that they can't do. And in their envy and in their selfish ambition, their evil practice is to shut it down. 
because they hadn't received the teaching of Jesus. They hadn't put it into practice. To be great, you gotta be a servant of all. It's not about getting ahead of somebody else. It's about serving. And this is us, we don't get it. We don't even receive it. Many of us will walk away from today, we'll be like, yeah, okay, right on, sweet, I love it. But then we'll continue in our selfish ambition, arguing over our greatness. Would we only receive the teaching of Jesus, be an apprentice, be a disciple, be a follower, and push away our, our idea of what it means to follow Jesus and start an honest pursuit of greatness? Jesus put the desire to be great in you. His desire is for you to do more with your life. But this is how he defines it, serve serve. So pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. You want to be great? Pick up your cross. You want to do great things? Pick up your cross. You want to be like Christ? And sacrifice your time and give your attention to someone or something else that you can get nothing from. That is what it means to be great. That is what it means to be like Jesus, to take on the demeaning role of a servant. Serve. And when you do so, you are more like the Heavenly Father than you have ever been in any pursuit of greatness. So here's, here's, the, here's the crazy irony in all this. And in, in just a moment, we're gonna sing a song about how great is our God because I think it's important to put that in perspective, to end with worship, to end with centering our hearts. It's one thing to receive a message and to hear preach, but it's another thing to say, okay, now that I've heard this, Lord, let me just center my heart and worship right now so I can actually put this into practice. But here's a crazy irony in this. You wanna be great and you wanna be spectacular, right? But you are great and you're not spectacular and I'm not great and I'm not spectacular. Only God is great. And so in this teaching, what Jesus is actually revealing is the greatness of God. He's actually pointing to himself, who in just a few moments would be arrested, would be trialed, would be beat and put to a cruel death, but in doing so would become the greatest of all. Why? Because only Jesus, only Jesus can truly take the last place. Only Jesus can become a servant of all. No one else is capable of doing that. So I'm gonna end with this statement and then we're gonna, we're gonna worship. But when we serve, we align ourselves with the person of Jesus and we are more like Jesus than ever before. So serve, be great, be great by serving others. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just, I pray that every single one of us that would receive this teaching today, Lord, even though it, it clashes with our way of life, it clashes with every day, but I pray, God, that in our honest pursuit to be better people, to be greater, to be more successful, to get ahead, that we would become the very last, become a servant of all. Lord, that we would emulate your life your teaching and your death and your sacrifice, willing to give up our lives, our comfort, all of us, our time, our energy to serve someone else. And in doing so, God, I pray that we would discover, God, 
the true secret to joy and the true secret to greatness. God, I pray that right now as we worship, that you would speak clearly to our hearts. Maybe there's somebody here, God, that they've been, they've been pursuing this the wrong way. Maybe there's some of us that think that we're serving, but we're not really. God, maybe there's some of us who have a, a, a framework of what it means to follow you and what it means to serve after you, God, but, but that's not your framework. So I pray that you'd speak clearly to our hearts as we take this moment to worship. God, we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship right now. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.